Welcome back to Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. This conversation was with my good friend, Aaron Dowdy. Aaron Dowdy is, I would consider him like a modern day philosopher slash behavioral psychologist and an expert in relationship dynamics, everything ranging from intimate partnerships to business to friendships. Why is it that we're typically attracted to the same dang person? Different face, different name, same patterns, polarity in relationships, what creates attraction in the first place. I think he does an excellent job with pulling the hood up from the conscious mind to examine what the hell is going on in the subconscious. And this conversation, we get into some of that stuff. Aaron is, uh, he's got the Aaron Dowdy YouTube page. He's got like something like over a million odd subscribers on there. He's really done an excellent job with leveraging the internet to get his messages around um, how to live a better life out in the world. So I have a lot of adoration and respect for Aaron, and I'm very grateful to get to share this conversation with you all. If you enjoy this conversation, part four, leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to this. I really enjoy reading them. I want to read one from, pulling it up here, Tie-Dye Chef. Still my fave, exclamation point. I just want to drop a line and say how much I still enjoy the podcast after several years. Not sure how many. Aaron's zest for information, curiosity, openness, and vulnerability constantly humbles me. I appreciate so much all the information that you bring out. I very much appreciate your podcast on biological dentistry. Highly recommend checking that one out. Uh, that was with the Dr. Dom. And he was great. Uh, who knew there was such a thing? Time to do some more research. And on and on. Thanks a million for all the products and information that you bring to light. Appreciate you. So leave us a review. Good chance I'll end up reading on here. And I just appreciate it in general. It's very supportive. Take a second and just pull up your phone. You can press a little five star if you think it deserves it. Review. Bing, bang, boom. It's a great way to support. Hope this information is supportive in your life. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get to it with the man, Aaron Dowdy. Pow. So we just did some, what's referred to as Mumbay, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, I don't know if we're supposed to say what it is, but coca leaf is what it is, which is a totally, it's a fantastic tool, plant, supplement that can be found in most South American countries. It's really Mm -hmm. helpful with acclimatization. So people people use it in mountain towns. Yeah. Colombia, Ecuador, Peru. It's very common. Yeah. I was introduced to it in, um, where was it? I think it was in in Juarez, which is in... Uh, is that in Ecuador? Somewhere in the mountains, in, in like in the, nice. in the yeah, in the in the uh, the Andes, and then people use it all the time. It's like a very common thing. It's very like, common. It's like tea, essentially. Yeah. What the hell is that? Well, it's funny. It's um, <laughs> so from my experience with it, and I, I guess I've heard David Wolf say that it's like this. It's like the number one superfood or something like that. It's like one of the most healthy things for you, but it is illegal, you know, I think in the States or something like that, but. Which illegality is an interesting conversation it as is. well. And, and what it does to certain seemingly benign yeah. substances or plants such as coca leaf, which when something becomes illegal, then suddenly there's an impetus to concentrate it. Yes. And then it becomes something that's actually you know, like deleterious or dangerous. Yes. So that's kind of a whole nother interesting conversation of what it ha- is of the effects of, of it's cr- sad. It's sad what something. happened with that too, because the traditionally for thousands of years, the coca plant was considered something very sacred. Mm-hmm. It's considered something that's very sacred. That was like, you know, something that a lot of, you know, a lot of shaman or medicine people use it. But then what they did is they found a way to, to make money with it by like kind of raping it in a way. That's what they considered a cocaine to be. It's like the, it's like raping the coca plant and then synthetically mixing it with other things to make it something that's not. But that that's the shadow. You talk about the shadow. The shadow of the coca plant is cocaine. It's like that that synthetic part of it that's been used in our society. You know, I, I went through and binged all the narcos. You ever see the narco show? A little bit. It's crazy. I got I got sucked into that whirlwind like couple like a month ago and I watched every episode of the Colombian one and the Mexican one, which is all about cocaine. Yeah. Super and, interesting. And it's based on true stories, which is interesting, but that's what cocaine is, is that's, but the coca plant has this very heart centered other aspect of it, where it's like the coca plant that's been pulverized into a powder and mixed up with normally some other herbs as well, non-psychedelic. It's more so something that like uh, they say helps bring you from your head into your heart. And what I was telling you before, when we were just doing it a little bit ago, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll share it on the podcast if you want, like yeah. kind of the way I was explained to it. Cause I'm not an expert at 
at it at, by any means, but you know, I do retreats a couple times a year in Costa Rica and I bring, you know, sub- subscribers go to it. And we also bring in uh, these amazing medicine people that have been working with the medicine for like, you know, 20, 30 years and plant medicine communities and stuff that are part of different tribes and stuff. But the way they describe it is with uh, Mumbai, they use it in a way that's much more sacred than obviously, you know, cocaine. And it's not, it's like nothing like that because it's, something, it's a powder, you know, goes in the mouth, it absorbs through the gums and it's way less not concentrated like crazy like that. So it's more like the effects you get, like you feel somewhat stimulated and like kind of present to the moment. Um, but they say it's like a heart medicine. It helps connect your mind to your heart. And the way that they traditionally use it is say you need a tribe needs to, people need to like make a hut, for example. What they will do is they will do Mumbai and the night before, and they will come up with all the plans and they will, they will coordinate all the ideas and it kind of, in a way, stimulates or activates the mind to work in such a way to where it it helps you, what they say, reorganize your thoughts. So it helps you organize what are you going to do the next day, and it helps them come together, and they they do it in like a community sense, and they, they come up with how they're going to build the hut, what kind of materials they need, who's going to do what. They organize that whole thing, and that's when they use the Mumbai, and then the next day, they may use Mumbai again and then actually make the hut. But they say that it helps you reorganize your speech. And when you take Mumbai, a lot of times it'll be a big wad in your mouth and you can't speak for sometimes two to five minutes. And that's a time to really get inside of your body and to listen. And there's rules when you do Mumbai to where you really only talk about the here and now. You don't, there's a, there's a tendency sometimes with people that take Mumbai to where you just want to like kind of get gossipy or chattery because it gives you like the stimulated effect. But they say, you know, it makes your words sweeter and it, it, because it kind of brings you in your heart, it's something that you're, you're meant to do and to like to connect with other people, yeah. but to do it in like a, a very heart centered present moment way. And that's how I was explained from shaman and medicine people. They use the medicine. Yeah. So when we were doing hot pay a little bit ago and then talking about using doing it, I'm like, actually, you know, doing it before a podcast or for a podcast would be actually be very fascinating and interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think another thing that is very interesting and, and lacking in my life and I think a lot of like Western culture is a lack of like ceremony. Yes. And they, and even that the concept of ceremony, I think some people hear that and it's like immediate eye roll yeah. type reactions like, oh boy, a ceremony. You know, right. Those are going to be like burying your menstruation or dancing yeah. on a tree or something. It's like, what's well, like red tent society or something. Yeah, right. Which, <laughs> which like maybe there's some value, you know, mm-hmm. in that. I don't, you know, I've never had an experience like that. But in our day, I think it's very easy to kind of just smash together all of these different events. You know, I'm with yes. my significant other, I'm with my business thing, and then I'm, I'm yeah. playing quotations, and I'm working out, and I'm with my kids, and, and there's not really any type of pattern interrupt. Right. And so I find when I do have the opportunity to experience pattern interrupts like this, or like doing like hape, which is like a, another ceremonial yeah. tobacco thing, you blow up your nose like snuff. Yeah. <laughs> when I do things like that, I'm always oftentimes leading into it a little resistant and then during and after I'm like oh man I need yeah. more of that you know and I think it's such a, a really beautiful thing to have those pattern interrupts to kind of take a moment reflect you know self-examine like okay what the hell am I really doing here right you know and then move forward from there as yeah as opposed to just smashing everything together yes you know and that's something it, it seems like you do integrate that into your life this yeah yeah, absolutely. I think I think a lot of times these you know these plants and certain like things we call ceremony, they're they're sometimes tools, but they're a way of enhancing different aspects of our own consciousness. I think that a lot of these plants that we might experiment, whether it is uh, plant medicine or something like Mumbai or Hape, they're these reflections of our own consciousness that allow us to like connect to different aspects of ourself to like enhance different energies. You know, I have a friend of mine who does, have you ever heard of plant dietas? Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, where they like, basically what they do is they connect to the consciousness of a certain plant, which carries a certain energy. And my, one of my best friends- What, is, what does that mean? I'm big on defining anything that could be like metaphys- metaphysical. Or ambiguous, yeah. yeah. So like, for example, I, I have a friend, my friend Patty, she's doing a plant dieta right now with Rose. Mm-hmm. So Rose is a plant and like the consciousness of Rose, she finds at least through her own experience that Rose teaches her- self-love, worthiness, compassion. Mm. So when she diets with Rose, what that means is she eats a very bland diet. She doesn't do a lot of salt. 
she's supposed to not have sex with her husband. And like, there's like, you, you kind of deprive yourself of certain sensual pleasures so that you can really focus on the consciousness of like what you're bringing in. And then she uses like rose essential oils. She drinks like a rose tea every day. She like spends times meditating with, and, and like meditating with rose in a way, and then seeing what she can learn from it. And she's learned some very interesting things from different plants. Mm. She's done a dieta with sage before. The energy of sage has a very different like vibe than rose sage is very much about boundaries you know we use sage to like cleanse energy you know so if you need to bring in more energy in your life where maybe you need to set more boundaries and rose tends to have a little bit more of a bitchy like mentality you know like where it's like this is how it is this is what you're going to do kind of like like that so connecting to that energy it's like bringing in that archetype of like firm boundaries of not feeling apologetic about what you are what your needs are voicing your opinion more uh, cleansing negative energy and having the courage to look into your shadow like these these plants they have a way of like i think directing us to towards certain aspects of our own consciousness that maybe we can elevate it's, like, it's similar to archetypes i think yeah. but that's what they kind of do with with the you know working with the plants and even the plant medicines that we do whether it's ayahuasca or san pedro or peyote these are all different like aspects of our consciousness that i think that allow us to like tap into different levels of ourself yeah you know, it's so cool thinking about the way like Native American culture or maybe various different like Eastern cultures, um, Native American in particular model a good chunk of their personalities and lives and interactions. Yeah. Around nature. Yeah. You know, there's like, you know, I think like, it's really like, cool. Like the coyote is yeah. like, oh, like, oh, cool. That's like the we're playing tricks. Right. You know, we're being kind of mischievous. It's like the trickster energy, right? You know, or yeah. maybe like eagle probably means something and, you know, leopard maybe. Or... like they all have different meanings. And it's like taking the time and the spaciousness in one's life to be able to observe yeah. the surroundings and be able to actually like be a student to the world. Yes. As opposed to just kind of blindly being in one's own tunnel, just kind of continuing to march H- yeah. forward. Hustle it out or whatever. Yeah, it's cool, man. We, I feel like we've been like denatured in some ways. And then when you talk about yeah. things like that, I can almost hear like a reticence in my voice to not kind of get jarbled up with some kind of new age nonsense. Right. Yeah. But a lot of that stuff is totally legit. Yeah. And I think, I think what it really comes down to is like belief systems as well. Like a lot of what I teach is like our, our beliefs create our reality and that everything in life has no meaning other than the meaning we give it. So even like a rose, for example, that probably wouldn't resonate with somebody that maybe doesn't buy into that belief system that like rose has consciousness or that sage has a consciousness that you can connect to. But it's like a permission slip for people to tap into different aspects of their own consciousness. Because sometimes even I, like my friend Patty that like does these plant dietas, she's like, oh, Rose was telling me this or Sage was telling me that. And sometimes my eyes kind of glaze over because I'm like, it's like it's like she has a consciousness in of herself, but it's like a very valuable permission slip for her to tap into something that really does benefit her. Like, and she's, oh, I learned, you know, like one thing she learned was like, um, when she was like, you know, her, her sexual dynamics with her husband, it's like, oh, not to, not to confuse sex with love, even though it is an expression of love, but like it's not the only form of love, right? Mm. Like there's there's these valuable insights that she's had to where she's been able to like develop more self-love beyond just the act of sex or beyond just certain things because of it. So it's like a permission slip for that. But when I think about it, even when I hear her talk sometimes about sage and rose and all these things, I'm like, well, they're really just, it's, it's the meaning we give it. So then we're able to tap into these other aspects of ourself that like we resonate with or that we get some type of value of. So is it true or not true? I think it just depends. It depends on what that person gets out of it. You know what I mean? Because there's people that may look at plant medicine like ayahuasca and and San Pedro or even like Mumbai or or, uh, Hape, and they they may see no value in it. And I think that that's that's totally valuable. Like that's their belief system. And I think it's great. The cool thing is, is like we live in a reality where whatever we believe to be true is like, our filter, our lens through which we see the world, but not necessarily does like one person's belief system have to be agree. That's where we get into conflict and stuff because we don't all agree as to what the best model of reality is or what the best meaning is of these different things. So it's, yeah, it's interesting, but yeah, everything comes down to, I think, meaning, the meaning we give things, the belief systems we resonate with. And then there is a level of freedom that comes when you expand out of certain belief systems, you know what I mean? Or you just see it for what it is as like a permission slip, you know? Yeah. I think the the belief systems that are interesting is like the belief of who we are, who we think we are. Mm-hmm. And you have an interesting history where you went from being a vegan ladies shoe salesman. <laughs> yep. 
That is true. <laughs> to s- somehow converting and being overweight at one point mm-hmm. as well, and being really thin, I think, at, at one point as well. Yeah. So kind of having fluctuations with that. To converting yourself intentionally or, un- or unintentionally, I'd, I'd be curious to understand like the path, and to essentially being like a modern day, you're like a Dale Carnegie <laughs> meets Napoleon <Thank> Hill <laughs> meets Tony Robbins meets Matthew Hussey meets... I appreciate you know, that, man. Like, like <laughs> oh, my ego loves hearing that. But you've done a really good job at being, a, I think, a bridge to be able to convey a lot of esoteric, what would be conceived to be kind of like metaphysical, yeah. perhaps like woo-woo concepts into something that is more grounded, tangible, and actualizable in one's daily life. Yeah. To actually have like tangible value, like do this now. Right. It will create impact. That That's the thing. Thank you for saying all that. I, I appreciate that. And the, the thing that I've always really loved, not just learning the esoteric, because I, I went through a phase back in 2012 when I went through my awakening where I became very ungrounded. What does awakening mean? Awakening, like... Uh, Prior to that 2012, I was very kind of like, you could say, just bought into the social conditioning of having the nine to five job, going to work, doing this. Like, I I felt like a lot of the pain of my past, like, made me who I was. And I thought, like, reality was like just, there was just like, I don't know if it's this or there was an aspect, there was no spiritual real component to my life in 2012, even though like I grew up a certain way, was like kind of forced to go to church and stuff like that. But in 2012, I had like this awareness or this awakening to where I realized that uh, at least this was, this is my experience that we are eternal spiritual beings living temporary human experiences. And I found that through meditation. I found that through meditating and going inwards and i i realized and could kind of like start taking myself out of a lot of the things i experienced growing up whether it was a painful past or whatever it was and i could start to see that i thought that's what made me who i was but as i started to kind of question some of the beliefs i had and some of like the the pain of my past and stuff like that i could see that that led me to a space of like a lot of pressure was created to where i then woke up it's hard to explain i know what you're asking you're asking like the the definition of like you know, like, what does it mean for spiritual awakening? But it's like, for me, it's it's being aware that we're eternal spiritual beings living temporary human experiences. And when I started meditating, I started observing my thoughts more. And I, in a way, started realizing like this avatar body that like we, we're all a part of is like prior to that, I thought that this was just who I was. My ego was like me. And then I started to observe the ego more. I started to observe my thoughts more. And I started to realize that like, there's just more to life than like what I thought in a way. And I started seeing why I was the way I was and um, questioning a lot of the negative beliefs that I had. And my whole entire life transformed from that moment onwards. Was there a primary catalyst? And I also want to define, this is probably getting obnoxious at this point, but define spiritual. That's See, that there's, there's elements to it because that does get confusing too. Like the, the terminology of it, because from one you could say our spirit is like like we're eternal spiritual beings of temporary human experiences. So there's like the spiritual part of ourselves that like we're reconnecting to, or maybe we forgot that that's who we are. I think if if we go a little bit more esoteric for a second, I think that because we're eternal spiritual beings of temporary human experiences, we forget who we are when we come here. It's like we come here to kind of like forget who we are, so that we can go through a process of remembering that this is kind of like a temporary experience that we're having. And in a way, it becomes kind of fun once you have certain realizations because reality becomes kind of more like a game. But then as you go through spirit, as you go through maybe a spiritual awakening, I think that spirituality gets kind of like a rap where it's it's like you you are spiritual when you're meditating with your crystals and you're looking at the candle flame and you're like doing some type of yoga. When at the deepest levels, I think spirituality just is life. Yeah. You know, like anything can be spiritual. Like sometimes a lot of times it happens when, when I went through my awakening in 2012, I thought money was bad. You know, money is a control system. It's created because of this. Like the, the money money's not backed by gold. I, I developed this really negative belief about money. And then guess what? I didn't attract money because why would I attract money if I also think it's bad? I'd be a bad person to have it. That was where like some unconscious beliefs that I started to adopt in this spirituality ego. Because it's a very common thing too, to develop very strong spiritual ego when you go through a spiritual awakening. Because then you wake up and you're like, why? Like I remember, I'm starting to remember who I am at a greater level. And at the deepest level, we're all connected. We're all in consciousness anyways. But it's like, why am I knowing all this? Or like, why did this spontaneously kind of happen for me? But there's still a lot of people that aren't aware of this. And then in 2012, that's when I became ungrounded and I was just meditating all the time. I became vegan within like a, on a whim and I started losing a lot of weight and 
like family members and friends thought I was on drugs when I wasn't. I wasn't doing anything. I was just losing weight because I was like vegan and stopped eating enough. And <laughs> and so so like on the outside looking in, then I started feeling alone and I felt like people didn't understand me and I felt like this need to like prove myself and but as I've gone through my own journey, I've realized that like life is spiritual itself. Like even making money is like money is just energy, you know? So, and I think that we come here to have a 3D, like a physical experience. So money's not bad, you know, money's a resource. Money's yeah. just energy. You exchange and you put out value into the world. And that comes back as like money is just a form of abundance, one of the forms of abundance that we can receive, you know? Yeah. But I think there's something to be said that like, I think some of the most spiritual people on the planet don't even know what spirituality is. You know, it's like the, it could be the fisherman that's going to, the fisherman or fisherwoman that's going to go fish. Same you know with, what I mean? Same with like health. If you're like a health fitness they might not know like the 12 biohacking optimization things where right. you you sit in the sauna for 12 minutes but and then you they're living it they're just living it exactly and and probably a lot of it's like with your teachings and stuff like it's getting back to nature yeah right it's like eating food that like is, is like natural for us to eat yeah. you know it's like it's stuff like that versus it being you know kind of like the the spiritual ego thing of like i want to make a video soon it's called like the stars the significant star seed or something like that because you know like there's this common thing where it's like people don't want to be here they want to like go back to their mm. like spiritual home or something like that but it like it's completely discounting why we're actually here yeah. and the th the physical human experience which i think is beautiful mm. i want to take a moment and discuss one of my favorite pre-workout beverages that is red juice by organifi what i like about it it is excellent for circulation increasing the production of nitric oxide and delivery of oxygen to your muscles the reason being it contains a whole plethora of ingredients that do just that two of which being red beet juice, red beet juice powder rather, cordyceps mushroom, so excellent for energy. It's got a whole combination of antioxidants, which are also supportive for recovery and things of the sort. It's essentially like a libido enhancer. You could look at anything that's increasing circulation and it's good for circulation of everything, which is great. So check it out, Organifi Red Juice. You can get yourself a discount 20% off by going to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N, ifi.com forward slash align that's organifi o-r-g-a-n-i-f-i.com slash align 20 percent off get your workout on get your swallow on get your libido on organifi red juice pow also want to take a moment and thank bioptimizers for making the best in my opinion magnesium supplement on the market that is mag breakthrough the reason i like magnesium in general is because it is largely deficient in modern day food it's been that way for several decades uh, what i like about mag breakthrough is it contains all seven different forms of magnesium i appreciate the sourcing i appreciate the founder of the company i think the stuff is amazing i actually chew the capsules up because i, I like the taste of it which is wild you can get yourself a discount by going over to mag breakthrough.com slash align podcast that's m-a-g-b-r-e-a-k-t-h-r-o-u-g-h.com forward slash align podcast and you'll get yourself a discount if you do not absolutely love this product it does not help with your sleep it does not help with muscle recovery doesn't make you feel like a better person better version of yourself then you get your money back they have full money back guarantee magbreakthrough.com forward slash align Ramdas has a bit where he's talking about he's talking to his like channeled fella called Emmanuel and Emmanuel he's like asking him questions Emmanuel suggested to Ramdas that he's he's so wrapped up in being this transcendent spiritual person he's missing the curriculum of yeah. a, a human incarnation so he's like he's like you've incarnated to be a human like this right. is this is your school yeah like take the curriculum asshole mm -hmm. <laughs> like what are you trying to buy like like dropped you into this amazing ivy and you're just trying school. to get back up here but like, you're trying to come like no like we you you were sent to school like yeah. open the fucking book yeah i think it's it's an interesting thing we were talking about before of like some maybe deeply instilled perhaps puritanical principles mm -hmm. of inherently being maybe say like inherently being like a sinner yeah you know, or being like a naughty boy or a naughty girl mm -hmm. and I, I wonder within that i wonder if i feel like i have stuff like this i'm feeling like undeserving of certain things so maybe it could be or that it's wrong to have like i think love and money are really obvious ones in yeah. most people's lives how does a person start to be able to examine their relationship with love and money? They could be two separate chapters or maybe they're integrated or... A lot of times I find that there is a, a thread that integrates both of them because yeah. 
from all the stuff that all the content I've created and the people that I've worked with, the thing that I've noticed is it, a lot of times it stems back to childhood. And there's like, let's say we have beliefs about money and we can say, oh, money is bad or money is this, or I don't deserve it. Or then love, it's like, you know, I'm used to having someone that's emotionally unavailable. So this feels comfortable to me, or I'm not worthy of like somebody that's really there. Or like, I, I have an abandonment wound from like a parent that like left or emotionally or physically, like there's core beliefs we have about ourself, about our identity, about reality itself that I think stems into both of those different sectors. But the first and most powerful like part of the process is the awareness. It's becoming aware of the beliefs. It's becoming aware of what your story is. The story like is a belief. It's kind of the same terminology I use kind of intermingled. But um, what are your stories about money? What are your stories about love? And then a, a, a degree deeper than that is like, what are my stories about myself? And you'll find a lot of times that there's like a core incident that happened when we're children, when we're, we're kids, where something happened and we gave that a meaning that said that I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy. Like, for example, we may have had like a, an emotionally unavailable parent when we're a kid, you know, maybe even like one or two years old and we don't even really remember, but maybe like we needed or wanted or craved love from one of our parents, but maybe they were emotionally unavailable because they were going through their own shit. Well, in the moment that like, imagine you're a baby and you're just sitting there and you're, you're wanting like love or attention. And then you look over at your mom or your dad and they're just in their own heads and they're like thinking about something else and they're not paying attention to you as a kid or even a one or two or three year old. We then internalize that. And we say, oh, there's something we get anxious and we feel anxious. Like, why are my needs not being met? There's something wrong with me. I didn't do. Maybe if I'm quiet, maybe if I do this, we then try to like gauge ourselves to other yeah. to try to get them to get our needs met. It's like you're gamifying attention. Yes. Exactly. It game it gamifying attention, validation, significance. And but then we develop this belief in this shame. I think it a lot of times it, it goes down to shame. We have this shame that says, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. And shame is identity based. Whereas guilt, if we if we did something wrong, it's like I'm a good person and I meant well, but I did something wrong. Guilt is less of a step than shame. Shame's a little bit deeper to the core identity. Is shame a protective mechanism because it's safer yes. for you to be broken than your than your custodian, whoever's taking care of you? It's it's you you don't shame does not want to be seen or to be found out. Like I'm reading the book Will right now by Will Smith. Have you read that? Or it's very yeah. interesting because his whole life, you know, Will Smith, the fucking, the men in black guy, this guy that's like, you know, the independence guy, the, the guy, the bad boys guy, like the guy we watched growing up, he created his personality and his, like who he is. He's become a people pleaser. He talks about this in his book and stuff, which is crazy to see because he's, yeah. he's the badass character that you see, right? But he says the reason he created himself to be who he is, the guy that makes everyone laugh, the guy that's just super charismatic, is to hide the shame he feels because he feels like he's a coward. Mm. The reason he feels like he's a coward is because when he was a young kid, he's like the oldest brother. His dad was beating the shit out of his mom. And when that happened, he couldn't protect his mom. He was too young. He was too afraid to protect his mom. And he felt like there was nothing he could do. And he then made the choice or made the decision that like he had all this shame around him not being able to protect his mom. So his whole life and his whole his whole like trajectory of even his success has been built on this this need for him to hide the truth in his eyes, which of course isn't a truth, but his belief that he's a coward. So he'd create this character and this this way of being that gets him all the validation, all the attention, and all the approval of so many people to hide the shame around being a coward because it, it was hard for him to step up to his abusive dad, who was an alcoholic. So it's interesting because these core, I think we all have like core stories that even like your our parents divorcing, if we had a parent, our parents divorced, my parents divorced when I was five, as kids, we internalize everything to think it's all because of us. So if our mom or our dad divorce, we're not, we don't have the intellect we do now. We're like, oh, well, they just didn't get along and it was better for the kids. And we intellectualize it and we analyze it and we can see clearly, you know, that makes sense, right? As a kid though, we internalize everything. Mom and dad are breaking up because I am not good enough. And that's the survival mechanism. And that's, that's a survival mechanism. Exactly. And that's the shame. I'm they're broken. broken. They're the protectors of you. Yes. If they're broken, then yeah. you're, you know, you're in a, in a really rough spot. Yes. But if you're broken and you're in a safe space, yes. you, you know, it's, it's and it, ultimately would, would, I think, psychologically feel safer. Yes. At least my container is safe. I'm totally screwed. Right. But if the container's, if the container's it, unsafe, yeah. then you'll, you'll reposition that because you need, you need to create the this, this story that there's a safe container, I think, as a young person. Yes. And see, that's what happens with people pleasers because what they do is they will only feel safe 
if they're tuning themselves to other people to get other people to feel validation and approval because then they can relax. But if that validation goes away, they then feel anxious and they're trying to find it somewhere else. So especially in my community, I think I get a lot of people that follow me that are what they call empaths. You've heard of like an somebody that's very empathetic yeah. and can feel other people's emotions and stuff. Sometimes wildly ungrounded. And wildly ungrounded, yeah. Sometimes. Many times, Many I times. find. But yes, yes. And there's a, there's a way of using that because I think it can be, like I've always been very receptive to people's emotions and intentions because my ex-stepmom from seven to 15 years old that was in my life was physically, mentally and like emotionally abusive. She was like an army sergeant and she ran the show. She took control. My dad's a fire investigator. So he was gone 24 hours a day, back 24 hours a day, but she pretty much ran the show. She brainwashed us not to want to talk to our real mom. So we didn't, it was just my dad and my ex-stepmom. My dad was gone half the time. My brother and I weren't allowed to, and I don't want to get into the sob story of it, but this is yeah. kind of like, kind of shows why I became the way that I did because my brother and I weren't allowed to have friends. We had to earn going to school activities. A lot of times we were locked out of the house and had to do yard work. And then for eight hours, we'd be outside drinking water out of a hose and stuff. We had to like, if friends wanted to hang out at school, we'd have to come up with weird excuses. Why not? Because the truth is we just weren't allowed, but it was embarrassing just to not be allowed to have friends and stuff like that. Like, and we were also very like malnourished. Like we were given a bowl of cereal in the morning and a TV dinner at night. So for seven to 15 and my dad divorced her when I was 15, when my my grandma like talked some sense into him. We were like, I was like 110 pounds. All of a sudden I started looking healthier. You know, my whole entire life transformed. But I can see that from tuning myself to my ex-stepmom, from tuning myself to envi my environment, because my ex-stepmom is a narcissist. I don't have she's not my life anymore, but I had to tune myself to her to, to feel safe in a way. Because if she was like having an episode or something, I had to know what she was feeling to know how I had to be in order not in, to, in order to go under the radar so I didn't get hit, beat emotionally, like things taken away from me, kicked outside for like the next eight hours, you know, like that was a survival mechanism that I created to get my needs met. The craziest thing happened too, when my dad divorced my ex-stepmom, I was 15 years old. We went to the old, the house that I lived at and we moved back into our grandma. So we had like three or four people, my brother, my dad and I and my grandma and grandpa lived all in this small, we moved into like this, you know, like 800 square foot house, but we had freedom. So it, it was cool. But we went back to the other house to like grab our stuff. And I remember going back and it was like, it was really emotional. My ex-stepmom was yelling with like her mom, which is my ex-grandma, I guess. And they were like throwing our clothes on the, on the dirt outside. And she was very bitter about it. But I remember feeling that even though I had all of this freedom now, that freedom to me scared the shit out of me. Because I felt safe, even though like what my brother and I would do, my younger brother and I, we would sneak into the house when we were working outside for eight hours. We would grab the remote, we would put on the TV and we'd have to have our finger on the previous channel on the remote so that if somebody came home, we would push the, pre we would push the previous channel so that it would go back to the channel that it was originally on so they don't know that we were on the TV. And then we would run outside, lock the door and then like keep working when they got home, you know? That was the kind of like, weird reality that we lived in in order to get our needs met. And even like, you know, if my ex-stepmom, if she knew that I wanted to go to like a band camp tournament, then she would find a, a reason to take it away from me. But if I pretended like I didn't want to go to that, I was like, you know, I really didn't practice band. I really don't want to go to that band camp thing. She goes, oh, you don't, you don't think you're going? You're going, you're going. It's your fault you didn't practice, mm. right? But if I wanted to go, she'd be like, oh, you think you're going? You didn't do the chores or something. It's like whatever we want. So I had to like tune myself to like get my needs met, you know, but that was my safe container. So even though I had all this freedom now, I felt anxiety with that. So I remember when she was throwing all that shit on the, the ground and it was this dramatic thing. I was, I remember just the anxiety that came with knowing that I had all this freedom now and I can see why people have Stockholm syndrome. I see why some people, sure. they go back to like an abusive person because that creates a sense of safety. Even after my ex-stepmom left my life and I was 15 years old, there was an unconscious pattern in myself where I craved someone to give me rules. So what did I do? My first girlfriend was someone I was with for four years. She was very controlling. She was very jealous. And I had to tiptoe and walk on eggshells around my ex-girlfriend for four years. Then I woke up to that and realized, oh, I don't deserve this. And then I, uh, I broke up with her. It was like this big dramatic breakup. And a week after that, I was working at Nordstrom's in Women's Shoes and Brass Plum Shoes, which is like a woman's shoe department. A week after breaking up with her, I got transferred to a better shoe department, salon shoes, designer shoes, right? It's commission-based job. So that's like a promotion. This department, the manager of that department, she was a, a clone of my ex-stepmom. Controlling, manipulative, she talked down to people, she got away with it because she was protected by upper management. There was always someone in my life to give me that structure and to give me that frame because I felt safe with it until 2012 when I went through my awakening. In 2012, I went through my awakening and I became aware and really what happened is I forgave my ex-stepmom. 
I could see that my ex-stepmom was a narcissist and she she created her own sense of like safety because her dad beat the shit out of her. So I was able to kind of like empathize with her a little bit and forgive her. And when I did, within two weeks, that manager got fired. She was my manager for four years. We tried getting her fired like so many times for crazy shit, but she was so protected by upper management that there was nothing we could do. Mm. She make people cry and stuff. It was crazy how much reality shifts based on the internal shifts that I've made in my life. So it's like, it sounds egotistical though. Like, am I saying that that manager got fired simply because I forgave my ex-stepmom and and did the inner work? I don't know. I, all I know is that reality has always reflected back to me the inner work that I've done. And if I crave significance or if I crave structure or rules, I attract people into my life to give them to me yeah. so that I have to walk, you know, walk on eggshells around people. Cause that's what I, that was what's familiar from seven to 15. I think like a, which there probably is some deep metaphysical quantum conversation happening. That's like beyond my ability to, to translate. But mm. I think like a really obvious, tangible, grounded perspective of how we're affecting each other is certain people will resonate with certain other people. And we're kind of informing each other's personalities yeah, based off of the way that we show up. You know, and so if you show up in a way that where you're like, you feel really strong, independent, not attached, you know, whatever, you know, that type of way. Yeah. And that will inform the way that a person that may be kind of, they take advantage of you or maybe kind of, you know, yeah. abusive or where it may be. Suddenly it, it, it like throws a wrench in into, their, in into, their... into their system. Yep. And so you didn't say anything. You didn't do anything. You just, maybe it's postural patterns. Maybe it's like visual cues. Yeah. Maybe there's something going on there. It conveys all of these millions of bits of information to that other person's processing chip, yep. their personality. And then they communicate in a certain way. And, yeah. you know, that's, oh, it's like, that's a very like, oh yeah, like, yeah, like energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, right, it is. It is. Energy. <laughs> it's funny. I, exactly based on what you're saying right now. I have a friend of mine that was in a relationship with somebody that he like fell madly in love with very quickly. He, he's like one of my best friends. He fell in love with this chick and they were dating and everything was great for like the first month. But then after that, there were like these little episodes that would come out. And this uh, person he was dating, it became very apparent that this this person he was dating had what could be called borderline personality disorder, BPD, mm. where it's like she she would like blow it. When things were really, really good, it was really great. And when things were not great, then it was like really bad. But he was like always walking on eggshells around her. If he said the slightest little thing, she would like blow up. Eventually through like, you know, us talking and stuff like that, he, he started to realize that pattern. He became like aware of it. And then what happened is he simply, you know, she, one time she found a, uh, in his bathroom, she found a headband from like his ex-girlfriend from months ago underneath like this inside the, the back of a drawer, like hidden. He had no idea it was there. She found a headband. She started freaking out on him. She like threw the headband at him and was like saying all this, like blowing up on him. And he would normally like feed into that. You know what I mean? He'd be like, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, didn't see the right. headband, blah, 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 blah. And, and what eventually happened though is he started realizing the pattern and then he, he got to a place of, he came back to himself because he was also realizing that a lot of the way he was treating his girlfriend was the way he treated his mom because his mom was always on edge. Yeah. So he kind of made that, that awareness. Sure. But then what he did is he simply stopped buying into it. And he was like, what you're feeling right now is not, you know, he wasn't like invalidating her emotions, but he's like, I've done nothing wrong. I didn't know the headband was there. And he just responded completely different, but she almost couldn't accept that he was so nonchalant about it and that he wasn't feeding her frame. He wasn't trying to tiptoe around her. He wasn't buying into like her drama mm -hmm. that she just left. Like she just couldn't even be in his energy because she, he wasn't feeding her gears. He wasn't feeding her the way that she sees reality. Well, you're nourishing a parasite. Exactly. That true. Exactly. So she, he wasn't feeding that to, parasite. It's well yeah. said. I like that. Yeah. The parasite wants to survive. And it, if it's not being fed, then it's like, where the hell is it? You yeah. know what I mean? But so once he did that. Our reactions are, are nutrients. Yeah. It's interesting. It is. It, it's interesting how. It's maybe toxic and it's like McDonald's. It's toxic. Sugar, oh, for sure. fructose, corn syrup. But it yeah. smells like. <laughs> yeah. But it, there's, ben, there's benefit in not feeding the parasites, the candida, or wherever the hell it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you mentioned um, when. when your was it your your mom was the abusive one? You guys were the stepmom. Stepmom, yeah. Ex stepmom. My mom was great, but she was my ex stepmom. Brainwashed, told us stuff, a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't true about her mom. She made us write like mean letters to our mom and shit. And then I didn't have my mom was in my life from like seven to fifteen. And then when my dad divorced my ex stepmom, then our mom came back yeah. and we were able to have a relationship with her again. It's such an interesting thing as you're saying that the, the you know like as below so above as you are 
at your place watching TV and you have your finger on the clicker and you're yeah. ready to put it back. It's like we don't extinguish anything through shame or guilt. Yeah. It still plays out. We just stash it to some dark crevice. You yeah. Know, in this case, the dark crevice was where your stepmom couldn't see. Right. But you still play it out. You still do the thing. That urge, It's it doesn't just go away through, through abuse or through, you know, like any of those things. Yeah. And so it's like, uh, you know, and that kind of comes into the criminalization of certain substances, such as like coca leaf from the Andes. Right. You criminalize it. And then suddenly we have to make this like we have to put it into the shadow. Yeah. And then we have to make this like nasty, dangerous, high concentrated form of it. So it's more effective to ship because if we get busted shipping, you know, 100 kilos of coca leaf, it's only worth. Yeah. So, so much. $400 or whatever. It's like, oh, you know, it would be worth more than that. But still, it's like that was a funny part of the show Narcos is when they because it's based on like the true story or whatever. But the the, one of the biggest problems was they're shipping out this cocaine. Yeah. The dollar amount of it is mattresses full of like dollars to make up like a very small amount. Yeah. So like that was an issue because that's how much money it creates. But it, yeah, imagine they had to ship like hundreds and hundreds of or thousands of tons of like a, a, a powder that's not concentrated. Yeah. You know, and so that through that criminalization, you make this high concentration version of of the thing. It's still the same thing. It was just this benign, innocent coca leaf. Yeah. That just wanted to jerk off or wanted, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, wanted to, like, whatever the thing is that it was as a young boy or girl, it's like, oh, cool. You know, I think shame around sexuality is a really obvious one. Yeah. You know, I have a penis or a vagina, like, you know, and it feels yeah. good to let a hot tub blower hit it or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and your mom finds out and shaves you like, ah, and then it's like, boom. There's the inciting moment. Yeah. Like there's the trauma. And now suddenly we need to reconstitute that into something that's maybe like on the face socially acceptable. Yeah. But it's still turning in the back end. Yeah. And then eventually you have, you know, industry that starts to build up around. Now I'm jumping back to the cocaine example. Right. You've created this, this, you know, concentrated form of it, the shadow yeah. form of it. Yeah. And then if it's not addressed in like a healthy, holistic, accepting, you know, way, then it just keeps on building and building and building. Yeah. And soon the the shadow, you know, the mafia mm -hmm. is bigger. Cartel. The cartel becomes mm -hmm. bigger than the government itself. Right. And yeah. then it's like, oh, wow, like the shadow's really taken over. Yeah. Anyways. I like that metaphor because yeah. it, it's, it's exactly what happened. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Yeah. So how does a person start to come into a place of, this is like my, my perennial question with conversations like this. Like how mm -hmm. does a person start to come into a place of self-examination to actually even know like the systems that they're running? It's, uh, for me, for me, what worked for me was, was, uh, just meditation, mm, yeah. observing my thoughts and, and starting to ask myself different questions. Like what are, what, why do I have this motivation? You know, like starting to question things and we're so in daily reality and like into the grind of things, especially like having a nine to five job mm -hmm. or going to work every day, talking to the same people every day and doing the same rhythms that we kind of get like hypnotized and, and desensitized. Like this is the norm. But when we start to question it and we start to ask ourselves, why do I, you know, like what, what would I have to believe is true to be having this kind of experience? Like even when I worked a nine to five job, it's like I had to become aware that there was a part of me that believed that that was either that that was the the limit to what I was worthy of. And I also had to become aware that I felt comfortable in a nine to five job because I got, you know, a paycheck every week from it. You know, I had to like it's really the questions that we ask ourselves with awareness and observation of our own thoughts. And that's why meditation, I think, is probably one of the most powerful things people can learn is just how to just it's not something you really learn how to do. But if you just sit there for like five or 10 minutes in the morning, you observe your thoughts, not try to control them. You start to realize there's a lot of patterns. There's a lot of consistent thoughts that might come up. But then it's also just taking like honest self-reflection on like, where are you? And the, the biggest way to know where you are is to kind of like just look around. You know, like if you live in a, if you live in like a, a certain type of house, even like middle class, like you live in a middle class house, then you most likely have a belief system that's equal to that this is the way we are. And there's nothing wrong. It's, it's yeah. not like you need a, a, you know, a huge gigantic house to be happy. But it's just, if you're in a relationship that maybe uh, is abusive, then it's like, okay, well, I must, there's a part of myself that must believe that I deserve this for me to even allow it in. You know, it's, it's starting to look at where you are and to realize what is the belief that's the stilts or the beliefs that's holding this system in place. And as you start to become aware of it, you start to see that it's a belief or it's a story or it's something that you believe about yourself. So then instead of you seeing it as this is the way reality is, 
this is inherently built into reality. You see it for the belief that it is. You see it for what it is, which you start to separate thoughts from like from your identity, thinking that this is who I am. So it's like, then you're able to kind of see it from a different perspective. But the thing that I, I teach a lot is just, it's becoming aware of these patterns and, and just making the choice to let them go. And that's it. Like sometimes people, you have to focus on wiring in and like the success affirmations and all that stuff. And that's not something I, I don't, I, you know, I've been making videos for years on YouTube. So I'm sure I have videos on affirmations and shit like that. But, yeah. and I, I see value in it. But I think a lot of this is like, how do you, is it, do you feel worthy? Let's say you believe you're unworthy. Do you feel worthy by saying I'm worthy? I'm worthy. I'm 100% worthy, whole and complete. You know, I, I appreciate this aspect of myself. It's, it's less about that, I think, and more about getting to the core and releasing and letting go of the shame that we may have built growing up or letting go of the belief that like we're un we're not worthy and then starting to ask ourselves, well, why, why would we believe we're not worthy? What are the rules we have to say we are worthy? Yeah. Is it once I make a certain amount of money or is it what are the rules? And then we start to like become aware of our own innate systems that a lot of times were passed on from our parents. It's interesting, like a lot of the belief systems we have we either developed in childhood or they were just hand-me-downs from our parents. There's a book called It Didn't Start With You mm. by Mark Woolham. And it's a book about ancestral trauma and how we inherit it from our parents. And we'll find that even in generational patterns, the same patterns that our grandparents or great-grandparents dealt with are our energies that we're dealing with. So it's like we realize that a lot of the shit we're carrying around isn't even our own. So we can analyze it all we want. We can become aware that like, oh, this people, my dad's a people pleaser. The reason my dad allowed a narcissist into his life is because he had this people pleaser mentality and he was seeking frame or he was seeking like the security in someone else. And he found that in my ex-stepmom. And that was a pattern he had that his dad also had. His dad was an alcoholic, but his dad had that pattern with my grandma. And that's why they got divorced or whatever, because it was like, it's, it's, this stuff gets pat, like passed down, but becoming aware of it is key. And that's a lot of times the key to the shame. One of the biggest things people can do to like release the shame is realizing that your parents divorced when you were five or whatever age, your dad emotionally abandoning you or physically abandoning you, or your mom physically or emotionally abandoning you. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's something that happened. But it's not because it's it's realizing that's their stuff, not mine. Mm. And as we start to separate that, we start to realize that we just thought for so many years that it was our shit, you know, that mom or dad left because we're not good enough. But then we could see, oh, even my ex-stepmom, that was abusive. It's like, oh, that was her stuff. She was angry and she was acting that out because her dad beat the shit out of her. Yeah. You know, it's like that was her stuff. Now, it doesn't invalidate because there's an inner child inside a lot of us, I think, that also wants to be seen and heard. So it's not about just saying, I intellectually understand that it's not my fault, yeah. but it's like also nurturing a side of our our inner child, like hearing that version of us. Like what is the version of us that's maybe five years old that felt, or two or three years old that felt abandoned? Yeah. And like kind of tapping into that part of ourselves and feeling it. And a lot of times in the feeling, that's where the healing starts to come. I want to take a moment and discuss one of my absolute favorite nootropic supplements from Neurohacker. It's called Neurohacker Mind. What I really love about Neurohacker Mind is I understand the ingredients on the label. I feel a tangible difference in my capacity for word recall, my ability to almost just access information like files in my brain. I don't understand how it works exactly, but it is legitimately impressive. I have historically had a reticence around supplements like this, but it's good. It's legit for me, at least. If you guys don't absolutely love it, you can get your money back. 100% money back guarantee. So you can try it for yourself, see how it works out. Just jump over to neurohacker.com and use a line during checkout to save 15% off. That's neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com. Use a line code during checkout for 15% off. And per mention, if you do not notice a distinguishable difference in the way that you think, the way that you access memories, word recall, things of the sort, then you can just get your money back. So jump over to neurohacker.com, use a line code at checkout for 15% off. Again, neurohacker spelled N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com. A line code at checkout, 15% off. Pow. That's the thing, as, as you're saying, like releasing and like letting go and words like that. I think that that's very like high level. And I don't know if we ever completely release a thing. I wonder if it's more just like alchemizing a relationship or change, shifting a relationship. Yeah. And then so that's something that I, I, I question. Sometimes I feel like it can be a lot of pressure to release the shame, yeah. release the guilt, release, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's like, a, that's a big step. 
it's like okay it's 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 completely gone right you know compared to welcoming it and yeah engaging with a conversation with it instead of it being like oh there it is again release it yeah it's like no what if you open your door even wider well that that is i think one of the keys to letting it go yeah is you must feel it to heal it yeah like jumping into the dragon's mouth yes Going into it, when I went through last year, I went through a huge shift where I was feeling so much shame and I felt rejected by like an ex-girlfriend and I felt like I wasn't good enough. And I realized that a lot of that was playing out my mom stuff and me feeling like, you know, not worthy. But I, I went into it and I allowed myself to feel it. And as I did, that's what like released a lot of the a lot of the energy is allowing it to be there. And it's a funny thing when we resist emotion, it either suppresses itself or it like it creates more pressure. Yeah. But if we just let the emotion flow through it, it like can begin to release. And I think that's why breath work is so powerful. Yeah. You know, that's why like just being present in the emotion is so powerful. So like letting go is like feeling it and knowing that it's not a problem that needs to be fixed. Yeah. It's like becoming excited to look under your bed. Yeah. You know, there's, there's monsters. Yeah, you absolutely. Like, Dude, just look. Yeah. Like, see, like, they're, you know, they're maybe, ma- maybe, maybe there's Maybe monsters. there is, maybe there's not. But. You know, but the reality is, as long as you're on top of the bed, there definitely are monsters. Yeah. You know, because you're creating, you know, you might be creating them. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, it's like repatterning a person's relationship to, you know, my friends, um, the Yes Theory guys, Omar yep. and they have, their, their brand is called Seek Discomfort. Yeah. You know, and I think that's an interesting thing starting to renegotiate our relationship with discomfort you know and like the things that we seek out as opposed to continually seeking solace and continuous seeking like safety yeah it's like what 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 would it be like to actually be excited to look under the bed like whatever the you know metaphor right. bed is yeah you know I think and, and the funny thing. thing is that as you have that courage i think it takes courage to do that but as sure. you as you do that to seek discomfort you're seeking the unsafe but then you expand your sense of safety because then you start to feel safe in the unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's like a side effect of that. So it's like, it's a funny paradox because as you become more okay with that and as you step more into that, you then become more safe in the unknown, yeah. which then helps you in all aspects of life, like let go and all of that, you know? Yeah. Where are you at with this stuff now? Like, now? I think I think it's easy to, when we're, when we're especially recording a conversation or t- yeah. you know, writing an Instagram post or a YouTube thing. Right. It's like we're typically we want to present as though we've got it figured out but then oh. almost a hundred percent of the time if you look back if you look back at yourself five yeah. years from now you'd be like oh, yeah all this stuff for sure yeah I, <laughs> there's it's it's funny i'm sure you do the same where you can probably look at old podcasts of yourself yeah. and just see like a different version of you that was doing it you know and i i do that with my videos like it's some of my older videos it's just like very cringy for me to watch even now what i'm working with now is i recently went to uh you know i work with plant medicine twice a year so it's not something i'm doing like every month or every you know it's like twi- i go to costa rica twice a year and i set the intention when i was there about a month ago that I was going to go deeper than I've ever gone because I wanted to step into the unknown. Mm. And I've always had this like thing where I have this like control thing because I think from creating a business, I find, you know, because my ex-stepmom gave us control growing up, it's like I created my own sense of control within my business where like I'm always taking action and I've got this like certain like intention and that's how I created my safety. But going... and when I do plant medicine, it's always like I, I I don't go also because like I, you know, we bring in the plant medicine people and all that, but I don't really go too deep because I'm also around a lot of like subscribers and stuff like that. So there's like probably an aspect where I don't want to go too deep to where I don't know if it, it's not necessarily that it'd be too vulnerable for me to go deep, but just like things, there's a lot of energy that can be projected when you're like somebody that everyone there knows that's going into a deep plant medicine journey. Yeah. And and you're and it would be likely for you to have s- some investment in your, it, it would be harder, I, I would think, to navigate that when you have so many different projections of who you are Yeah. to kind of, maybe, I, I feel like you might not have this actually, but it would be easy to be more invested to that personality. Yeah. When you have a hundred people that yes. all know you versus as a just being way. with like three or four good friends and then or like nobody knows or nobody you at knows all. you at all. Yeah. yeah. There's maybe more freedom there. But yeah. but because I've always had this con- where I don't go very deep because I'm I'm around other people, I said, fuck that. And I this time I went and I went deeper than I've ever gone. And specifically on Wachuma Day, which is an all day ceremony from eight in the morning till like ten at night. 
Wachuma San Pedro. It's a cactus plant medicine, and it it's like mescaline's the the active you know psychedelic ingredient in it. But it's a very heart open. It's one of my favorite medicines that I do like a couple times a year. But opens up the heart. You if anything, you feel more here than anything. It's not like you're blast off like ayahuasca or anything. But I feel such a connection to this medicine that I told the the Wachumero. I said I want to go deep. So he 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 poured me about 40 or 50% more than what he poured everybody else. And I took it and I had one of the most intense experiences of my life. And this is a medicine that normally is a very social thing. You take Wachuma and you're, you've done peyote before, yeah? No, no, I've done, that's not true. I've done, I, I haven't really gone there with it. I've done small amounts. Small amounts. I yeah. thought you said some, okay, maybe I'm getting a conversation no, mixed up, but it's very heart opening. You could very much just be in nature and have convert, like it's an all day ceremony of like, where you're, you're talking to other people and stuff like that. It's very different than some of the other plant medicines. But anyways, I had such a deep experience where all I could do was let go. Like I could not, I could hardly talk. It was such a deep experience because I was, I was what they call blissing out where I was just, I would just lay down and I would just kind of surrender. Mm. And everybody that was there that knew me was like, I've never seen you so surrendered before because I couldn't fight it, couldn't do anything. If I would have fought it, it would have been very unpleasant. But as I closed my eyes, I literally was like disassociate, not disassociated, but it was like my ego was dissolving to a place to where it was, I was becoming one with everything. And it sounds so hippie, typical psychedelic experience, but like I was literally becoming a leaf is what I told people. Like I felt like I just became, I just kept becoming a leaf to where it was, I was just like laying there and there was not much I could do, but it was such a level of surrender. And it was so blissful that for about five hours, I was in that state to where I just couldn't talk, couldn't really do anything. And it was kind of trippy. And normally I'd feel very uncomfortable when it, when it would get that trippy, especially with a medicine that normally doesn't get trippy, you know, but I just kept surrendering. I kept surrendering. And my intention was to go deep so that I could become familiar and I could become more safe in the unknown. And at the end of that experience, I felt so surrendered that even now, even when I go into my cold plunge in the mornings and stuff like that, I'm able to like really tap into that same emotion that I felt back then of just complete utter surrender. And when I get to that feeling like that, my work now is like learning how to surrender more and to not control as much and to go with the flow. Even the conversation we were having earlier where it's like, I have this like kind of masculine perspective as like how I'm going to, you know, get the next things done and, and progress my business. And then you're like, well, what do you, you know, just do what you flow, do what you like doing because otherwise it's not sustainable, yeah. you know? And that's kind of where I'm going now to where I'm like, okay, I'm going to tap more into surrender and letting go. And I'm still taking action and stuff. Doesn't mean I'm just completely passive, like thinking and visualizing what I want, but like, I'm kind of merging the two to where I'm learning to let go more, step into the unknown. Like this whole next year I'm doing, I have like five or six live events scheduled for two or three years. I didn't do live events one because of the stuff going on in the world. And it was like a little bit more challenging to do, but also that was like a sat, not a self-sabotage, but that was like, that was like a safe way of me just staying and doing internet stuff, you know, just staying on the line, doing videos. And I'm realizing now I want to step out of my comfort zone and that I'm starting to feel safety in that unknown, even though sometimes it's kind of scary, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, that's kind of what I'm learning now. And there's always, I always find my, catch myself when I'm like trying to control shit, you know what I mean? And yeah, the, the last little thing I think is, is an interesting thing for, for me at least, and probably a lot of people would be the permission this kind of comes back to similar things before of like you know being puritanical you know naughty yeah you know like you need to go and repent and and this and that yeah but having the permission to feel joy yeah you know or the permission to feel love or the permission to like really have like a like a full fuck yeah day yeah you know, like, like, and not having this, this underlying guilt that like, oh, like you need to work more, you need yeah. to do this more. Like, what does work even mean exactly? Yeah. You know, and then, and then within that thing we were talking about before, it's like, you don't teach what you know, you teach what you are. Mm -hmm. You know, what was it like Henry David Thoreau what was the quote, like, don't do, you do, how's it go? Do what, what you love. Cause people need to be around people that are engaged with what they love. That sounds like, what's, what's that quote? You know what I'm talking I about? Don't, I don't know. Come on. I'm sure I've heard it, but I, I don't know who it was or the oh exact verbiage. God. But anyways, it's like, it's like follow your passion because yes. what the world needs is to be around people that are engaged with their passion. Yes. Like that's medicine. Yeah. That's supportive. I love that. You creating another widget, you know, and, and replicating that a million times and making lots of money is great. Hopefully you can turn that into something meaningful that actually does 
provide you mm-hmm. real true meaning in your life. But I think there's there's real magic in being around, like Charles Bukowski calls it the, the free soul. You know, the, so being around a person that does, you know, they're, they, you, they won't look like a specific thing or sound like a specific thing. But when you're around a free soul, Bukowski mm-hmm. calls it, it's like you feel different. Like you feel yeah. lighter. You feel like, like they yeah. grant permission to the room to just like, like everyone can just, we can just be. Right. You know, finally. It's kind of like we were talking about earlier about like, I was telling you how I like to watch Gordon Ramsay sometimes cook. Right. You, you don't know, give a it, shit about the recipes. I don't, I don't give a shit about the recipes. Yeah. And even he, he's a polarizing person, <laughs> but like he is an artist. Like he is a master. Yeah at cooking and that's why his videos have like 10 million views a video of him just cooking something and in like a, a grassy field yeah. you know what i mean it's just fascinating it's just he's in his element yeah. and that i think is inspiring it's like how can i be more in my element mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. but i like everything you just said because that's that's what i'm learning right now is how to just do that yeah. and to, and to not need to or be that or yeah just to be that exactly and not associate doing with being like yeah. to know you could just be it because I've, I've struggled sometimes even just taking days off mm-hmm. like just to enjoy a day off i'm like, yeah, like what, I, does I that, to, what does that even what mean? Is even, i don't even know yeah my, I don't own, even know. my <laughs> only joy is that the temporary you know upregulation of whatever neurochemicals of reward yeah for me completing a task yes ah, complete the task ah, complete the task it's like a dog like running after a ball yeah it's like dopamine spikes you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting cool man thanks for uh having this conversation yeah thank you man thank you for having me on this yeah. uh this is fun yeah i appreciate it so you started a podcast a little while you've a bunch I've of had episodes. it for about a year i'm just putting a lot more i i have a podcast called the aaron dowdy podcast and then i also put it on my youtube channel which yeah. is where i my main bread and butter where i started was on youtube but i have the podcast which is just the audio obviously and then i have the video format of it on my main channel and i plan on doing a lot more like this where i bring people on like you and friends and also people that are you know experts in their space like you and everything onto my podcast so Dope. i'm looking forward to that because this is a lot more this is much more fun to me than just like me talking in front of a camera yeah it feels like therapeutic it does for sure well, I really appreciate you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. And yeah. uh, thank you for having me on. This is a very nice, fluid conversation. And- yeah, yeah good. All right. That's it. That's how we're going to jump over to the Aaron Dowdy podcast. So you guys can jump over and check that out. If you feel inclined, thank you for tuning in. Over now. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. If you want to get more, I recommend jumping over to the Align Podcast YouTube channel. We've been putting a ton of work into that, doing amazing collaborations with people from the Knees Over Toes guy, as you've heard before. Just did a great one with with Rafael Lovato Jr. So if you are a video consumer of information, that is all over there at the Align Podcast YouTube page. Thank you so much again for sharing this on Instagram's Like the Place. You can tag me at Align Podcast, tag Aaron at Aaron Dowdy. Hopefully, able to implement some of this into your life. Hope it's supportive. I'll see you next week.